Alright, good evening. good evening! Welcome to our summer Bible study. And this is our last Tuesday for a while, so I know. Now, I'm sadder than you guys. Alright, I want to know, honestly, how many of you are here tonight just because you wanted to see me dance? I mean, be honest, be honest. Alright, okay, I thought so. I thought so. Yeah, yeah, well, you may see that. Although I don't want to give you nightmares so that you can't get to sleep tonight, but uh, uh, it's good to have you guys here. Hey, just real quick, uh, just by way of reminder, this is our last summer Bible study for on Tuesday nights, but don't forget, on August the 21st, circle that Tuesday on your calendar, please. We're going to be right back here starting Tuesday night, August the 21st. From 6.45 till 8, not 7 to 8, but 6.45 till 8, and we're going to be studying this fall the book of Romans, and I hope you'll be able to be here with us for that. If you've never studied the book of Romans, or even if you have, I think you'll be blessed and encouraged by that study. Don't forget that that study, we have child care provided, there's going to be stuff for the kids on Tuesday nights that time, uh, Seth. Uh, our assistant worship leader to Brian, who's doing the worship all summer, he's going to be here every Tuesday night doing worship. Uh, you're not going to want to miss Tuesday nights beginning August the 21st. And you'll be hearing verbals and all the mind cards will be going out in a couple of weeks and all that. But Tuesday, August the 21st. Let me quickly just do another quick commercial. Um, as many of you know, uh, I also teach what's called small churches here at Cornerstone, which are you know, groups in this room on Sundays that run concurrent with our worship services. Beginning on August the 12th, that Sunday, which is when the Bringing Sexy series starts, alright, I'm going to begin a new study at 8.30, during the 8.30 hour, on the first 11 chapters of Genesis, at 8.30, right in this room. And I am just telling you, if you've never really done an in-depth study of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I'd encourage you to be there. Uh, I always tell people, everything the Bible teaches and expands upon from Genesis 12 through Revelation 22 finds its origin in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So if you and I can get a grasp on the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you have a great foundation for understanding the rest of the Bible. It's huge. So I encourage you to be there. Also, Pastor Lynn asked me, because of the Bringing Sexy series back, if I would be willing to teach two small churches on the marriage relationship, because this series has already just stirred up a lot of stuff with people and marriage. So, I don't know exactly what Sunday these are going to start, whether it's going to be August the 12th, the Sunday that the Bringing Sexy series starts, or the Sunday after on the 19th, but you'll be hearing about it. But if any of you are interested, at 11.30, at 11.30, I'm going to be doing a seven-week series that runs concurrent with that series on making your marriage just better. In other words, you know, all of us, if we're married, we want to see our marriages improve. I'm sort of calling it home improvement. And uh, if you would like to be a part of that, I think it would be an encouragement to any married couple out there. The second one I'm doing will be at 5 o'clock in the afternoon during our 5 o'clock service. And it's going to be how to help marriages under attack. 
if you know of a, of a marriage that's really going through attack and hurt and all of that, how do you begin to put it back together? How do you begin to restore that relationship and repair all of that and everything? That will be at 5 o'clock. So, knowing every time we do anything on marriage around here, what kind of response we get, I have a feeling it's going to be a great response and you guys are the first to hear about it. All right? So, we'll give you first dibs since you come out on Tuesday night. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, you guys aren't here for the commercials. You're here to study the Word. And what are we studying tonight? The rapture, yeah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 tonight. Let's, let's get there tonight and let's get started on it. A lot of good stuff for you tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This message, this passage, is supposed to be encouraging, uplifting. It's not supposed to be a downer, negative at all. And so I hope that's the way it comes across and I hope that's the way you receive it. And here's the reason why. We're going to go back and get all this down tonight from verse 13 through verse 18. But you'll notice at the very end of chapter 4 in verse 18, notice what Paul says to do with this information. He tells us as Christians to encourage or comfort one another with these words. So this passage is supposed to be comforting. This this talk about the rapture is supposed to be encouraging. Uh, So that's the way God meant for it, and that's the way we want to, to mean for it as well. Before we get into it tonight, let's open up with a word of prayer. All right? God, thank You so much for just Your Word, for the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, and for the written Word of God, the Bible. And God, we just pray tonight that Your Spirit would descend upon this place and that You would truly encourage us and lift our spirits. And may we look at death, and may we look at the rapture, and may we look at all of this stuff the way You want us to see it. And and Lord, if we're troubled about things... Lord, help us not to be troubled, but to put our faith in You. And maybe if there's someone here tonight that they do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and so when we talk about things like death and the afterlife and rapture and all of that, and they begin to get a little churned up inside, that Lord, maybe what this is going to do is bring about a time in their life where they ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. That would be awesome. God, we just pray You would use tonight and use Your Word to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Alright, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to set the stage for why Paul shared what he did, but I want to read the whole passage, and then I want to go back and give you some background here. Um, As I have said, this whole study of 1 Thessalonians is learning to get the most out of life. Well, here's how I say it. Those who are prepared to die are truly the only ones really prepared to live. And so one of the reasons why the Bible talks about this is because it says, look, if you're going to go through your whole life and you're going to have this fear of death and you're going to be afraid of what happens after you die, and man, you just live your whole life uptight about the whole afterlife thing, you're never really going to be able to dive into life and just live life, okay? Because all that that's looming out there just becomes this dark cloud that sort of just comes over your head. 
So God says, look, I don't want your life to be that way. And that's one of the reasons why I want to address what I'm addressing here tonight. So, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Please follow along in your Bibles as I read this passage. Paul says to the Thessalonians, Now I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. For we tell you this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will surely not go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be suddenly caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, here's why Paul wrote that particular passage on that particular subject. The Thessalonians had heard the words of Jesus passed down. When Jesus stood before His disciples and said to them as He was preparing them for Him to leave and and go to the cross and die and yes, rise from the dead, but then ascend back to heaven 40 days later. And He says, look guys, I'm not going to physically be with you much longer. But He says, let not your heart be troubled. John chapter 14. He says, you believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Alright? That's the program. Jesus has always promised to come and get those who believe in Him and take them to heaven. Well, the Thessalonians, like a lot of times, we get some of the truth and we sort of get a little bit sideways on it and we don't totally understand it, so sometimes it causes some, some consternation, some fear, some unnecessary feelings. And here's what was happening. They came to understand that what Jesus really meant was that no true Christian who believed in Him was going to die until He came back. In other words, He was coming back like in a couple of weeks. you know. And then all of a sudden in Thessalonica, Christians were dying. And all of a sudden they were looking around thinking, well now, wait a minute, I I thought Jesus was going to come back and take us all back to heaven with Him. And now all of a sudden our loved ones who are Christians are dying and what's up with that? And then they started thinking, did did my loved one miss the return of the Lord? Or are they not going to be part of the return of the Lord when He comes? And so they wrote Paul. Now we don't have that letter in the Bible, but they wrote Paul and asked him, what's up, Paul? Have we got this wrong? That's why, one of the main reasons why Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians back to the Thessalonians. He wanted to instruct them on the way it was to try to alleviate their fears, to try to encourage them and bring comfort to them and calm them down so that they weren't so uptight about their misunderstanding about the return of the Lord and Christians dying and Were Christians going to miss the return of the Lord and all of that? In fact, you'll notice there then, in chapter 4, verse 13, the very first thing he says is this. Knowledge from God is our ally. Because he says to Christians, now we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. You see, God wants His children to know His Word. 
He wants them to know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. God wants His children to know the truth because He understands that if I truly know the truth, it's going to bring encouragement. It's going to bring comfort. It's going to alleviate my fears. I'm not going to have to live one day worrying about something I don't need to worry about. So He's saying, be informed. And let me just commend you all. You know, you guys coming out on a Tuesday night, you are trying to be more informed about the Word of God. And one of the cool things and one of the byproducts and blessings of that is not only does it strengthen us and build us up, but it encourages us. The Word of God was meant to encourage us. He says that there in verse 18. So God doesn't want you to be uninformed. He doesn't want you to be in the dark. He wants you to continue to grow and learn more of the Bible and grow in your understanding of the Bible because He knows that's only going to set your mind more at ease than even it is now. That's one of the great motivations. You you want to set your mind at ease and have a tranquil mind and get rid of your fears and all of that? Keep studying. Keep reading. Keep coming out to Bible studies and things like that. You will help yourself. Uh, as much as you will anybody else. And that's what he says. God never wants His children to be uninformed. In the book of Hosea, God says to His people, the children of Israel, you are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. How, how, what a shame that is. You know? In other words, you're suffering and you really wouldn't have to if you would have just grasped hold of my truth and my word. So he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Knowledge of God is always our ally. Keep learning and studying the Word of God. Now, next thing. Talk about death in a healthy way. Talk about death in a healthy way. Learn to do that in your life. Death is, is, is not one of those subjects, just like a lot of subjects, that Christians shouldn't talk about. You know, uh, Another one is, you know, sex. Oh, Christians shouldn't talk about, church shouldn't talk about sex. Yes, they should, because it's in the Bible. And anything that's in the Bible should be talked about by other Christians and by Christians. If it's in the Bible, then we need to study it, we need to read it, we need to talk about it, we need to understand it. Death is another one. People, I don't want to talk about death. But God says, if you understand death from my perspective, and if you get a handle on what the Bible says about death, especially for the believer in Jesus Christ, that's not going to be a negative. That's going to be a positive. That's why he says in verse 13, Now we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Wow, a lot in that verse. Let me just start here with this whole thing about asleep. Sleep in the Bible is always used as a metaphor for death. Reason being, you go to a funeral. I've done over 250 funerals as a pastor in 20 plus years. You go to a funeral. The person just looks like they're asleep. They, they look like they're at rest. Now, they don't cease to exist any more than if you and I are asleep in our bed. We don't cease to exist. We're just sort of in another state. No, I didn't mean it that way. You know what I mean. I might be in another state. Anyway, but that's the way it is. And so I don't want you to get the wrong idea because the Bible doesn't teach which a, a lot of cults and stuff and They teach soul sleep. The Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. And that's not why the Bible uses the word sleep to describe death. The only reason the Bible describes sleep to describe, use sleep to describe death is because it's telling us a couple things. First of all, people 
in that state as a Christian are at rest, just like we are when we are asleep. And secondly, they're still in existence. They're just existing somewhere else. In fact, the word cemetery in our English language, if you study the etymology of the word cemetery, just means a place of sleep. That's all it means. So the Bible says, look, when he talks about those who are asleep, he's talking about Christians who have died. They are at rest from all the things that cause us unrest as long as we're in this physical body and on earth. And they are existing. They simply are existing in a place the Bible calls heaven. And they immediately go to heaven if they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior as soon as they close their eyes in death. Let me give you a couple of references for that. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Boom. When people say, well, what happens to me when I die as a Christian? I say, here's what happens to you. Based upon 2 Corinthians 5.8, the second you die, you are in heaven. The very next second. Let me give you another illustration from the Bible that supports that. Jesus is hanging on the cross. There is two thieves, one on each side, who's being crucified with him. The one places his faith in Jesus as the Son of God. He turns to Jesus. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. So there is no waiting period. All right. There is no place that you go between death and heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, If my tent that I live in, and that's how he describes his physical body, it's just a tent. The tent that I live in, if it is destroyed or it is dissolved, he says, I have a building of God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the confidence that God wants His children to have about those who have fallen asleep. That's why He goes on, and I want to finish verse 13 before I open it up for comments or questions. That's why He goes on to say this. First of all, He says, relax with your grief. Christians, it's okay to grieve, even when another Christian dies. God says it's good to grieve. Grieving is a healthy response when someone close to us dies. No doubt about it. And, and here's what I would just say as a pastor, and my pastor's heart to any of you, learn to relax with your grief. Don't let other people tell you how you should grieve, how long you should grieve, which ways you should grieve. Why? Because God made us all unique individual creations. And we're all going to grieve a little bit differently. And we're all going to grieve timing a little bit differently. So, God just says, look, the only stipulation I put on your grief is that as a Christian, you grieve, but you always grieve in hope. Because according to the Bible, there's only two kinds of people in this world. There are those with hope, especially in relationship to things like death and what happens after I die and all of that. And then there are people with no hope. And obviously the Christian is to be the one who has hope. How can I have hope even in the midst of death? Because in the Bible, as we've talked about many times in my Bible studies, the word hope in the Bible is not the same way we use hope in the English language. When we use the word hope, 
We use it as like a wish. I, I'm wishing something happens. I desire something to happen, but I'm not sure it's going to happen, so I hope it does. And that's the way we use the word hope. When the Bible uses the word hope, it speaks about an absolute certainty and confidence. Why? How can I be absolutely certain and confident about anything? Because my hope is built on the character of God who cannot lie and upon his word, which is absolutely trustworthy. So if God says that's the way it is, then I have confident expectation that that's what's going to happen to me when I die. Because God said that's what's going to happen to me. That's, you see, that's hope. That's real hope. And that's why the Bible says, grieve. And it's okay to grieve, but just grieve like those who have hope. Those who know that death is not the end of it all. And that this earth and our earthly existence is not all there is to who we are. And that who we really are is not defined by this physical body, but who we really are is defined by that which no one can see but God, which is that within us. That's who we really are. And that gives us hope. Folks, as I shared with you before, in 23 years of being a pastor, I've done over 250 funerals. I've been with hundreds even more families who've experienced death. And let me tell you, there is an unbelievable contrast between being in a room, a home, a funeral home, you name it, with a family who knows Christ and whose loved one knew Christ and who has hope, and being in a room or a funeral home or doing a memorial service where the person didn't know Christ, the family doesn't know Christ, they have no hope, they think that this life is all there is. They think that the body just goes into the ground and rots and that there's nothing to look forward to after death. I'm telling you, it's just, there's no words to describe how great a contrast that is. Because for the Christian, funerals are a celebration. Because they're a promotion. I don't feel sorry for all the people that I know who are in heaven because I wouldn't want them to come back here anyway. I just want to be up there with them. And we're going to be talking about that. But that makes all the difference in the world. And it's based on the hope. And so again, God gives us permission to grieve. But just grieve like those who have hope. Not like those who have no hope. So how do we get the most out of life? Knowledge from God is our ally. Talk about death in a healthy way. Relax with your grief. Live in hope. Let me give you one other passage. I'm sorry, then I'm going to open it up. I want to take you to, over to Hebrews. You knew I was going to go there eventually. Because this is an important passage and one that we at least need to touch on tonight. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. You'll have to come back when I do Hebrews again or something. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what the Bible says about death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children, children of God, share in flesh and blood, He, Jesus Christ, in the context... Likewise, shared in their humanity, God became man so that through death, his death, he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. The devil wants to make you afraid of death. He wants you to live your whole life in fear of death. Jesus Christ came to set us free from the fear of death. Because he conquered death, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
if you believe in me, even though you are going to die, you're going to live and you're going to live forever. So don't be afraid of death. Look, folks, I don't want to die. I'm not being morbid about this. I don't want to die, but I don't fear death at all because I know where I'm going to go the second I die. I'm going to heaven with Jesus and with all the saints of all time. And I know as soon as my heart stops and I close my eyes in death to be absent from the body, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 is to be present with the Lord. So I don't want to die, but I don't live one hour of my life fearing death and what's going to happen to me because I know what's going to happen to me. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm good or anything like that. It's because there was a time in my life where I asked Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. And just like any of you, for by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And any person on the planet can ask Jesus Christ into their life and be set free from their fear of death. They don't have to worry about dying. They don't have to worry about what's going to happen to them after they die. They're going to know it ahead of time. And see, God wants you to know ahead of time. I've run into many people throughout my life in ministry who say, well, Pastor Joe, I don't know whether I'm going to go to heaven until I die. And then, you know, God will weigh my good works and my bad works. And that's that whole, you know, religious philosophy. So no, 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 no. God wants you to know way ahead of the time you, you die where you're going. In 1 John 5.13, John says, These things were written so that you may know that you have eternal life. And because eternal life is not just a quantity of life, living forever, it's a quality of life, God wants you and I to begin to enjoy eternal life right here and now. Not wait till we get to heaven. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's not just, oh, I can enjoy being a Christian once I die. No, it's enjoying being a Christian right now with the joy that God gives us through eternal life. All right, I'm sorry. I just get a little excited. Get a little excited. All right. Let me just say this too before I open it up. If after tonight, I go on vacation next week, but if any of you would like to further just sit down and hash over some things about grief or death or any of this, please give me a call at the church office and set up an appointment with me. I would love to talk with you. I would love to encourage you in what the Bible says concerning this subject. Because we're not going to be able to hit it all tonight, guys, because we do have to get to the rapture tonight. We just got to. So, anyway, comments or questions? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, verse 16 where it says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Right. They're with the Lord in heaven. I always think of heaven as being up. Right. Sideways. I don't know. <laughs> if they're with, if, if you're with God, but you're rising up from what? Is this the glorified body? Yeah. Rising up? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> we're going to get to that. Let's move on then. Look at verse 14. Here's some things we've got to remember, which again is just the foundation of our hope. We've got to remember, first of all, Jesus is alive, folks. Again, going back to what he says, he conquered death. And he says, because I live, you, you will live also. Death is not the end. So notice, Paul says, if we do believe that Jesus died and rose again, well, here's the thing. If I don't believe Jesus died and rose again, I don't believe that Jesus conquered death, then maybe I do believe that death is the end. Because who conquered death? If I don't believe anybody ever conquered death, if I don't believe that anybody has power over death and that death is all-powerful, which is what the devil wants people to feel like, then you're right. And it always goes back to what I believe. That's why I say our beliefs 
fuel our whole life. Because what I believe affects the way I live. It affects the choices I make. It affects how I live and all of that. So it's so huge what we believe. Don't let people tell you today what you believe isn't important. What you and I believe is very important. We've got to believe the truth because Jesus said it's only the truth that sets you free. If you're believing a lie, then you are being held in slavery and bondage to that lie. You're not set free. So what we believe is very important, especially belief in the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone doctrine. And I don't say that flippantly. It is the cornerstone doctrine of our faith. Because the Bible says that. 1 Corinthians 15. Read that passage. Paul says, listen, I don't care what else we've said about God and Jesus and creation and all this. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then it's all a lie. It all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all hinges on that historical fact. Now, we don't have time today to do this, but later on, probably in the spring around Easter time, I'm thinking about doing a series on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and the reason I want to do that is I want to prove to people, because it can be proven beyond any reasonable doubt, that Jesus Christ truly did rise from the dead. Let me just give you some stuff that it will encourage your faith. Because you probably have a lot of people out there going, man, I don't, I don't know whether I could you know, answer them or all of that kind of stuff. I have a friend of mine who is probably one of the leading authorities in the world on the resurrection of Christ. He cannot get a debate on the resurrection in the United States of America anymore. Nobody will, nobody will debate him on it. It's that hard to debate. The only debates that he can get now is over in Europe. And even those are very, very few. Why? Because the preponderance of historical evidence is so overwhelming that even the skeptics who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus have a very difficult time arguing against it. That should encourage your faith. It's true. He's alive. Don't be ashamed of what you believe. Folks, guys who and gals who have 10 PhDs by their name can't explain away the resurrection. Do you think you're going to find somebody on the streets of Chandler, Arizona that's going to be able to explain? I don't think so. So be encouraged by that. All right? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. Again, what Paul's trying to do is alleviate the fears that all these Christians who've died somehow miss Jesus coming back. He says, no, far from it. Jesus is going to bring them with him. Now, hang in there with me. I'm going to, I know some of you, I can see the questions are coming here. All right. Hang in there with me. All right. Because I'm going to go to what now what Mike pointed out about, well, wait a minute. The Bible also says in verse 16, when Jesus comes back, though, it says the dead in Christ will rise. Well, if they've died and they went to heaven immediately, then how does this all fit in? Let me explain this. All right. When I die, I go to be with the Lord immediately in heaven. All right. But obviously, <clears throat> my body is buried in the ground. All right. This body is buried in the ground. But I believe the Bible teaches that as soon as I go to heaven, that God gives me an intermediate body to live in in heaven until this body of mine is resurrected and fit for an eternal existence. You see, this body that I live in right now is not fit for eternity. It's mortal. It's not immortal. 
So the cool thing about death is I've got to get rid of this mortal so that I can put on immortality. We're going to turn to that passage in just a minute. Now, the reason I believe that and, and base that is if you look throughout Scripture, when dead people reappeared, for instance, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus transfigured himself, who was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration from the Old Testament? Moses and Elijah. Has the resurrection and the rapture and all that taken place yet? No. Has their bodies been resurrected from the Old Testament graves they were buried in? No. But did they have a body? Yeah. They had a body. And you can go to other places, same thing, where people appeared, and I believe that God gives it. Because He understands that's the form that we know. And we're going to have a body just like Jesus' glorified body, fit for all of eternity. So, when this body then is resurrected... I believe that intermediate body will be laid aside and this body will be glorified, fit for eternity, changed from mortality to immortality, and it will be the body that I use forever and ever. Now, let me show you something. Go back to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. Man, time is going. I'm telling you what, so much good stuff. We just need more Bible studies. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 50. Here's where the Bible teaches this. 1 Corinthians 15:50. Now this is what I am saying, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You know, if I'm a Christian and I want to go to heaven, I can't go to heaven with this body. This body doesn't last for all of eternity. So the only way I can enjoy heaven is to lay this body down. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we won't all die, but we will all have to be changed. So in other words, those who have died will be changed because their bodies will be resurrected, fit for eternity. And those of us who are still alive when Jesus comes back, even though we won't die, we will instantaneously be changed so that God gives us a body that's fit for eternity. That's what he's talking about here. Notice, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Speaking of those who are still alive. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But notice verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So notice verse 58. Here's then the practical application of all this. So then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, let's put some practical teeth to this. Why do I get up every day and live the way I do and study my Bible and pray and tell other people about Jesus and become a part of a church like Cornerstone? Because it's not in vain. Because I'm living for eternity. I'm not just living for here and now. There is something past my death. And, and I'm, I'm focused there more than I'm focused here. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, in verse 15, he says this. We tell you this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will surely not go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now this all happens, though, so quickly, as the Bible says, in the blinking of an eye, that even though there's an order in the Bible, it's going to happen so fast, it's not going to be, okay, there goes the dead in Christ, and now I'm going to be changed. No, 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 no. Let me add, how, how fast is the blinking of an eye? Can that even be, you know, computed? I mean, that's how fast all of this is going to happen. I had one of my friends, she, she said some, she actually wanted to build her house across from a cemetery because she says, I want to see this. I'm like, Karen, you're not going to, it's not going to be that slow, you know. It's not like you're going to be sitting on your porch going, oh, look at the dead in Christ rising. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Although, if that would be true, that'd be pretty cool. But anyway, all right. Although I've always thought, it'd be a little sobering if Jesus came during church. You ever think about that? I've always said, I think one of the biggest surprises of heaven will be not those people who are there that we didn't think was going to be there, but those people we thought were going to be there who aren't. Anyway... The Lord Himself comes, the dead in Christ rise first. Now, here's where we come in. If we're still alive, if we're still alive when Jesus comes back, and let me just say, the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is this event, the rapture. Nothing has to happen for this to take place. This could happen before we get done tonight, okay? So there's nothing that has to happen. Jesus could come back at any time. That's why the Bible teaches the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Because it could happen at any time. Alright? So this is the next event. The rapture. Where Jesus comes in the clouds. And the dead in Christ rise first. And then we are caught up. And the, the words caught up in our English language is where we get the word rapture from. In the Greek, the word caught up means rapturo. means to be snatched away or caught away. Here's a good illustration of this. If you take a magnet and the magnet's strong enough, and you have like some kind of metal or, you know, uh, paper clips or something, as the magnet goes along, what's it do? It just sucks the, the metal right up to it. Jesus Christ is just going to come in the clouds, and Christians who are there, who are alive, are just going to be caught right up, raptured, snatched away in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, so, I can't lose. If I'm a Christian and I die, I immediately go to heaven. If I'm still alive when Jesus comes back, He's going to instantaneously change me, give me a body fit for eternity, and I immediately go to heaven to be with Him. So, I'm in a no-lose situation. So, the next event on God's prophetic calendar, the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church is what's called the seven-year tribulation period, which commences after the rapture at some point. The middle part of the tribulation is marked by the abomination of desolation. At the end of the tribulation period is what's called the Battle of Armageddon. All right? At the end of the Battle of Armageddon, God sets up His earthly kingdom on this earth for a thousand years, which Revelation calls the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. During that thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, Satan is bound in the uh, pit for a thousand years. He's released at the end of that thousand years where he will deceive the nations one last time before what we call the eternal state. Alright? Now, we come back and we, are, we will be present at the Battle of Armageddon and 
we will be here ruling and reigning with Christ during the thousand year millennial reign of Christ on the earth. Now again, we don't have time to get into all that, but I did want to point all that out because I think a lot of times even Christians get really confused about what's next and when does this happen, when does this happen. That's a very simple prophetic calendar for you. Rapture, seven year tribulation, thousand year millennial reign of Christ, right there. But the rapture is what's going to happen next. So notice, we who are alive who are left will be suddenly caught up together with them. Who's the them? The dead in Christ. And here's one of the cool things we get to look forward to and why Paul says this should be encouraging and comforting to you. There's going to be this great reunion where everybody that we've ever known who knew Jesus Christ as their Savior and who's in heaven, guess what? We're going to be reunited with them. And we're going to spend eternity with them, never to be apart again. As I share with many of you, my father died 17 years ago of pancreatic cancer. He was not just my father, he was my best friend. I miss him, but I know where he's at. And I know I'm going to see my dad again, and I know I'm going to spend eternity with my dad again. And that's the hope. That's why I could preach his funeral. Because I knew I had hope. And I knew that I was going to see my father again and going to spend... And I'm looking forward to that reunion with my father, my grandparents, many other people in my family, many wonderful friends who've already died and they are asleep in the Lord and they are already in heaven. Notice also, not am I only going to be reunited with them, but I'm going to finally, finally see my Savior face to face. Don't miss that. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Wow. Remember the song that came out a couple of years ago? I was a, I can't imagine. I can only imagine why that song was so popular. What's it going to be like when I finally get to heaven and see Jesus? You know, will I will I fall down before Him? Well, what will I do? Well, you know, who knows what we'll do? But just the idea that one day. One day, I'm going to be able to look into the eyes of the God who loved me so much, He died on the cross for me. And I'm going to see the nail prints, and I'm going to see the spear wound. You see, the cool thing for us is, all the scars and all the the physical toll that living here on earth and aging and all that has taken on our body, one day, that's going to be taken away from us. And we're not going to have any more scars, and we're not going to have any more, you know, uh, vestiges of of living on this earth and going there. But Jesus Christ purposefully, I believe, kept the scars to remind us for eternity what our salvation cost Him. It didn't cost us anything. It was free. A free gift. But it cost the Son of God everything. And I think we all need to be reminded of that throughout eternity. Notice verse 17. And so we will always be with the Lord. Folks, what we're talking about here tonight, this is forever. <laughs> we're not just talking about, oh, a couple hundred years, a couple thousand years. We're talking eternity. How long is that? Eternity. It never ends. I can't wrap my mind around that. I know. I can't either, but I just know it's never going to end. So after a couple of billion years, we're still going to have a couple of billion years to go and a couple of billion years after that. It never, ever ends. 
I don't know about you, but for me, that's a motivation to live now for then. Because that's what really matters. Even if I live to be a hundred years old, what is that compared to eternity? A grain of sand on the sea? Sure, that's about it. It's nothing. The Bible says our life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then we're gone. I mean, people come, the whole history of mankind since Adam and Eve, people come and go. Everybody dies. Nobody's never died. Did you ever ask somebody, why do we die? Do you know that people who don't believe the Bible have a hard time answering that question? Because the Bible just gives a very clear, simple answer. We die because of sin. But somebody that doesn't buy into the Bible, I don't know, why, why do we deteriorate? I mean, I thought we're supposed to be evolving and getting better and actually living longer and stuff. And it doesn't seem to be working that way. In fact, didn't they live longer back in the Old Testament than we even do now? So where's all that evolution coming from about getting better and things better? It doesn't seem to be working. And we live now in an age where we've got more medical technology than we've ever had before, and we still have an average lifespan of 80-some years, which that's nice, but compared to eternity? Oh, my friends, no comparison. Therefore, verse 18, encourage one another with these words. Remember, the Word of God is meant by God to bring encouragement and comfort. That's what it's meant to do. And here's another thing. This verse is telling us as Christians that we should make encouragement a lifestyle. If you study that verse in the original language, therefore encourage one another is always a continuous thing. He's saying that all of us as Christians should always be looking for ways to encourage each other. And one of the best ways we can encourage each other is with the Bible. Because the Bible was built to encourage us and give us hope in the midst of things like death and what's going to happen to me after I die and what happens to my relatives who've died and all this kind of stuff. Two kinds of people. Those who have hope and who can grieve in hope and those who have no hope. I think I would be very remiss tonight if I didn't at some point just throw this out. And this is between you and God. It's not between you and me or anything. It's between you and God. Do you have that hope tonight? Do you have that hope? Because if you don't, we can introduce you to Jesus Christ who can give you that hope. And He's the only one that can give you that kind of hope. And God wants you to have it. He doesn't want you to live another day thinking about death in a negative way and what's going to happen to me when I die and all of that kind of He wants you to live life to its fullest and then when God does take you home, you know where you're going and you're going to have an eternity to spend there. Now, there's a lot of questions that people ask about death and afterlife. And here's what I say. God in the Bible gives us all the stuff that we need to know down here to live for His honor and glory. He doesn't on this side of heaven give us all the answers to the things we want to know. So I'm sorry. Some of you have really good questions like, well, how old will I be when I get to heaven? The Bible doesn't tell us. What will I look like? I've got to look better than this, right? I mean, glorified body. But see, here's my point. If God puts hair on me, nobody's going to recognize me. Who is that guy? Oh, it's me. Jeff, that's you? So, here's all I say. 
The Bible does say this. The Bible does say that people will be able to recognize us. How? Again, God doesn't tell us. I believe part of it is God's going to give us a supernatural knowledge when we get to heaven that we don't have here. For instance, the Bible sort of hints that there's never going to be a lot of time spent having to introduce ourselves to people in heaven. That we're just going to know so that, like, as soon as I get to heaven, if I see this guy approaching me, I'm just going to know without being introduced. Well, that, that's Noah. And, well, that's Mary over there. And, well, there's, there's Peter over there. And we're not going to have to spend, like, two million years, you know, wearing name tags. Oh, you're the... No! The Bible says that when we get to heaven, we will be known. And we will know. So we're going to have a real spike in our understanding and knowledge that we don't have down here to know. But listen, there's a lot of good questions that people ask about heaven that God is silent on. And that's where we just have to trust that He gives us enough that we need. But He doesn't answer everything that we want to know. I believe He will when we get there. And probably a lot of it, we won't even have to ask. It'll be like, oh, okay, I get it now, type of thing. Okay? So, some of you have some great questions, but the Bible is simply silent on a lot of those issues. The most important thing about all this, we talked about tonight. And all I can tell you is, if somebody was to ask me, based upon my understanding of the Bible, do I think the rapture could happen in my lifetime? Yeah. I mean, no doubt about it, I would not be a bit surprised if I was in that generation that never had to experience physical death, that God just came back and my body was changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and boom, we were off to meet the Lord in the clouds. I believe that with all my heart. But, please don't... The Bible teaches that we are not to predict when the Lord comes back and set dates and all of that. That is not biblical. So if you hear people out there on television and the radio saying, Jesus Christ is going to come Christmas 2007, which by the way is 160 days from today, Christmas, just in case all of you, you're like, what the fuck, this guy, um, anyway, um, don't, don't buy into that, that is not biblical, the Bible just simply says we're to be ready at any time. In fact, if you go on then to study the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians that we did not get a chance to study, you'll notice that basically most of this chapter is just about staying alert spiritually and, and being ready for the return of the Lord, not knowing when He's going to come. Uh, so that's really why he ends 1 Thessalonians talking about that passage. Let me just direct your attention to this in chapter 5. Notice verse 10 and 11, back to this whole encouragement thing. Paul says to the Thessalonians, Jesus died for us, so that whether we are alert or asleep spiritually, we will come to life together with Him. Some Christians are going to be living obediently and alert and on top of things spiritually when He comes. Some Christians are going to be living a pretty sloppy, disobedient, rebellious Christian life. And see, I always wanted to be a Christian that when Jesus came back, He found me doing what I was supposed to be doing, and He found me faithful, and He found me obedient, and He found me doing His work. I would hate to be in a position where when Jesus Christ came back, 
man, I was living in sin and I was just totally away from God and, and wasn't coming to church anymore and wasn't reading my Bible and wasn't praying. Man, when Jesus comes, I want to... But either way, because not all Christians are going to be living committed lives. Either way, if you're a Christian, you're still going to go to heaven. But then notice verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other just as in fact you are doing. Because God wants us to take this information to encourage each other to stay close to the Lord. To stay alert spiritually. So that when He comes back, we are living a committed Christian life. We are faithful. And we have that confidence. In fact, I don't want you to think I'm just pulling this stuff out and I don't want to back it up with Scripture. Look at 1 John. Go over to the book of 1 John real quick. I was sharing this with Jude here earlier. In 1 John, towards the back of your Bible... 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is 1st John, chapter 2. Look at verse 28. Here's a good motivation for us to stay faithful and to encourage others to stay faithful. Now, little children, John says, remain in Him, abide in Him, stay committed to Christ, so that when He does appear, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame when He comes back. Whoa. Wow. I don't want to be in that verse. I want to be part of the Christian community that has confidence that I'm living a committed life and not one who's ashamed of the way I'm living when Jesus comes back. So that's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the whole chapter is about, you know, stay committed and stay alert and stay faithful and stay in the Word and keep committed to each other and keep committed to the Lord and keep doing what you're doing so that when Jesus comes back, man, you know, you're, you're where... You need to be. And you're where God wants you to be. And you've not went off and fallen away from the Lord. Alright. I hope this has been encouraging to you tonight. I hope that maybe some of you are looking at death and the rapture and all that kind of stuff a little bit differently. But we've got a few minutes, so I'm going to open it up for comments or questions. Jeff. We're going to dance? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh, man. If you, if you didn't get that email, you got it, and you've got to read the disclaimer. Did you guys read the disclaimer that Mike... Oh, my golly. Go back and read the disclaimer. It's a hoot. It's hilarious. It goes in. He talks about Cornerstone and its leadership are not responsible for Pastor Jeff and his dancing and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's really, really good. So, I want to thank Mike and Ron, too. You know, Mike does all of our web stuff, and Ron faithfully comes each week to tape this so that this can get on the web for you guys. So, yeah. Thank you, thank you. All right, yes. Is there any talk in the Bible where it talks about after... Armageddon after the thousand-year reign when Satan is unleashed to go and deceive again. Does, does, does the Bible really talk about the reasons why? What really happens in that thousand years? I mean, I hear stuff in that thousand years. People that may have not been able to be at the age of maybe decision. Uh, you know, of accepting the Savior. Do people come back during that time? God doesn't send anybody uh, away in eternity away from Him that doesn't have a chance to accept. 
He gives everybody a free will, and I think everybody gets a choice. For those children or babies that are before the age of where they can make a choice, I personally believe, based upon his character, that they all go to heaven. Now, millennium. Here's why God binds Satan for a thousand years. One of the things that he wants to show mankind is that mankind cannot stand before him at the judgment and say, the reason I lived such a life was because of that Satan over there. Satan, you know, Flip Wilson, I'm dating myself. The devil made me do it, you know. No, 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 no. Yeah, Satan can tempt me. Satan can, can try to, you know, do a lot of stuff. But I still am the one that gives him power over... He doesn't have power over me. I allow him that power over me as a Christian. In fact, the Bible says that God, when I become a Christian, I never have to sin because God's power within me gives the ability to always say no to sin and yes to Jesus and be obedient. So when I do say no to God and yes to sin, it's because I want to, not because I have to. And I think that one of the main reasons why God binds Satan in the bottomless pit for a thousand years is to show man that man in his core being is depraved. And it doesn't take Satan to try to lure him away from God. That mankind, even without the temptation of Satan and the working of Satan, still wants to rebel against God and still doesn't want to have anything to do with God. Then, during that thousand year millennium, even though outwardly everyone will conform to the reign of Christ on the earth, they will not inwardly conform. There will be a lot of people on earth during that thousand year millennium. In fact, we were just talking about this tonight. They will go along with the rule and reign of Christ because the Old Testament teaches he will rule and reign with the rod of iron. And when Jesus says something during the millennium, it will be that way. But just like today, just like parents know with children, they may outwardly conform and do their chores and all this, but inside they're going, you know, I really don't. And so they're really, their heart's not there. So when God allows Satan to come out of the bottomless pit at the end of that thousand years, there's going to be many people on the earth who really, again, they don't want God to rule over them. They don't want to follow God. And here comes Satan out of the bottomless pit going, okay, folks, who wants to follow me? Who wants to revolt against God? And let's, one last time, let's, Let's go after him and let's, let's put this God out of business for, for good. And there's going to be many people in there that go, yep, I'm following the devil. I don't want anything to do with God. So I think that's one of the main reasons why God binds the devil for a thousand years is to show us that it's really not the devil and I can't blame it on the devil. Certainly he's part of it and there is obviously spiritual warfare, but right down at the core Man wants to be independent of God just like the devil wanted to be independent of God as Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High and let a rebellion of the angels in heaven who became the demonic realm. Same thing's going to happen during the millennial reign of Christ. But yeah, good stuff. And if you want to learn more about the, the millennium, uh, the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, Zechariah, Stephen, are there any other ones I'm thinking of? Joel maybe? Joel, Zechariah. Ezekiel would be one. Some of the Old Testament prophets would be great books to get into. Yeah. So, good stuff. Yes. I think that you mentioned in another class in passing that people going to heaven just by grace here are saved versus being caught up with the Lord because you've really been striving to to understand God and and study. Um, There might be a difference between the two in your role in heaven. 
kind of wondering, um, I hear a lot of, by grace you're saved, but don't worry about the rest. You know, just as long as you can say that you love Jesus Christ and say the sinner's prayer, don't worry. Yeah, that, let me say this. Only true Christians will go to heaven. Okay, and only Christians who've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior by faith through His grace get to heaven. But heaven is a place where there's degrees of reward and responsibility. And those degrees of reward and responsibility are based on our works. We don't work to get to heaven. It's a free gift. But the work that I do, the ministry that I do, the life that I live after I become a Christian is going to count for eternity because the rewards that I get and the responsibility that I get for all of eternity is going to be based on how faithful, how committed I was as a Christian. Okay? And that's why I tell people, man, just don't have the attitude of, well, you know, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. You know, I'll just be glad to get there. That is not the attitude of a committed Christian. A committed Christian, Paul says, run the race to win. Run the race to win. In fact, he even Peter even says in 2 Peter, there's going to be even a difference into the entrance of the kingdom of God based upon the commitment level of Christians. Some Christians, man, they're going to go into the, to heaven and wow, you know, because of their commitment level. Other Christians are sort of going to shrink in. And the Bible says that one day in the future, God's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. But that's after we're in heaven. Because some Christians are going to be shedding a few tears because of the kind of Christian life that they lived or the lack of Christian life that they lived. They're going to finally realize, wow, I wish I would have done more for Jesus. I really lived such a sloppy, uncommitted Christian life. Yeah, please, you only get to heaven by grace. through the. But eternity counts because our Christian life counts. It counts even because the more faithful I am to Christ, hopefully the more lives I can positively impact for Christ. If I live a sloppy Christian life, then I'm going to negatively influence people out there. Let me give a quick commercial and then I've got to close if you want to talk to me afterwards. In September, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot tonight. For those of you that don't know, this is my son, Steve. Steve is, uh, he is uh, 20 years old. He already has his bachelor's degree and he's going for his master of divinity degree at Phoenix Seminary. He's following in his dad's footsteps. I believe that my son really knows the Bible very well. Uh, and anytime I need a replacement teacher in the mind Bible study, guess who I call on? Uh, he's going to be teaching for me on Tuesday night, September the 25th. And on that night of September the 25th, even though we're going through the book of Romans, we're going to take a one-week break because I'm going to be at a conference. He's going to be speaking on that subject of how our Christian life affects our role, our responsibility, and our reward in heaven. So he'll be touching on that that night. So I'd encourage you to come back. I think you would enjoy it. So there, I gave you some props. So. All right. Guys, it's been great. Sorry we ran over tonight, but we were talking about the rapture. I mean, come on, you know? All right. Listen, if you want to talk more, I'll stay for a few minutes afterwards. And like I said, I'm on vacation next week, starting on Monday the 23rd. But the first week of August, give me a call at the office. I'd love to talk with you more if you have some questions or concerns about this subject. I believe God wants to comfort and encourage you concerning these things. I want to be a part of that if I can. 
God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here tonight. Um, God, I do pray that this was encouraging to these folks. They are such a great group of folks, and I just, I'm going to miss them now for a couple weeks until we get back together again on August the 21st. But God, I just pray until then, you would just bless them out of their minds. Just, may they just sense your presence and your power in their life like never before. May you just work in their lives and just bring about in their life a level of commitment and closeness in their relationship with you that maybe they've never had before. And God, may this year, 2007, be the best year they've ever had with Jesus. And may it be the best year they've ever had spiritually in their lives. God, just uplift them. Give them, Lord, just abundant blessing. And Lord, just keep doing this great work in our hearts and in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. You're terrific. Have a great couple of weeks.